Thanks for listening to Porchlight Music Theater's WPMT. If you love classic musicals, why not check out Porchlight's Sondheim at 90 Roundtable, our discussion series focusing on the complete works of Stephen Sondheim, with me, Porchlight Artistic Director Michael Weber. I've had a great time discussing all of the musicals of Sondheim's incredible career with stars from Chicago theater, Broadway, and beyond weekly throughout Sondheim's 90th birthday year. Listen today to Sondheim at 90 Roundtable for a behind-the-scenes deep dive into the mind, the music, and the writing methods of one of music theater's greatest composers. Available right here on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Sondheim at 90 Roundtable or visit porchlightmusictheater.org for more information. I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. On opening night, November 21st, 1934, the stage of Broadway's Alvin Theater erupted with the joyous new Cole Porter musical comedy, Anything Goes. The original idea for a production set on board an ocean liner came from producer Vinton Friedley, who was living on a boat, having left the U.S. to avoid his creditors. He hired the writing team P.G. Wodehouse and Guy Bolton, and the star Ethel Merman, who had exploded onto the scene four years earlier in her Broadway debut, Girl Crazy. The first draft of the show was called Crazy Week, which then became Hard to Get, and finally, Anything Goes. The original plot involved a bomb threat, a shipwreck, and human trafficking on a desert island. But just a few weeks before the show was due to open, a fire on board the passenger ship SS Morrow Castle caused the deaths of 138 passengers and crew members off the New Jersey coast. Friedley judged that to proceed with a show on a similar subject would be in dubious taste, and he insisted on changes to a script that he called a hopeless mess. Bolton and Wodehouse were in England at the time and were thus no longer available, so Friedley turned to his director, Howard Lindsay, to write a new book. Lindsay recruited press agent Russell Krauss as his collaborator, beginning a lifelong writing partnership which included the long-run hits Life with Father, Call Me Madam, and The Sound of Music. There will be more on this program following the performance, but now, here on the October 11th, 1948 episode of The Railroad Hour, are Margaret Whiting as Reno Sweeney, Gordon McRae as Billy Crocker, and from the original Broadway cast, Victor Moore as Moonface in Anything Goes. Ladies and gentlemen, The Railroad Hour. And from Hollywood, here comes the star-studded show train. Tonight, your railroads, through the Association of American Railroads, present the sparkling musical comedy hit, Anything Goes. In our star-studded cast, you will hear the host of our series, Gordon McRae. Two famous guest stars, Margaret Whiting and Victor Moore. And a great cast of Hollywood featured players. The entire production set to the music of Carmen Dragon's orchestra and brought to you by the American Railroads. 
The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and the things you use in your daily life. And now, here is Gordon McRae. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gordon McRae helping to bring you another in our series of musical comedy successes. Tonight, the Railroad Hour Show Train presents Anything Goes by Guy Bolton and P.G. Wodehouse with lyrics and music by Cole Porter and starring Margaret Whiting as Reno Sweeney, Victor Moore in his original role of Moonface McGee, yours truly as Billy Crocker, and a great supporting cast including Betty Lou Gerson, Ralph Sedan, Bill Demling, and Herb Vigran. Marvin Miller is our announcer, our chorus is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our orchestra is presided over by Maestro Carmen Dragon, who is now playing the final strains of our overture. Here's Gordon McRae again, this time in the character of Billy Crocker. So from now on, anything goes. A very good friend of mine, the famous nightclub entertainer, Reno Sweeney, was sailing at midnight with the girls to appear at a very swank spot in England. So I hurried down to the dock to see her off. When I got there, the passengers were screaming aboard. The band was playing, and I began elbowing my way through the crowd looking for Reno. All at once, I saw her and her girls going up the gangplank, so I dashed up after them and yelled, Reno! Reno! Look who came down to say bon voyage. Oh, Billy! Billy, darling, I didn't think you'd remember. Oh, gosh, I wish you were sailing to London with me. Ah, <laughs> London. Why, I haven't even got the fear to Hoboken. E.J. Kitney's my ex-boss again, Reno. Well, what have you done this time? Well, remember the night I stood you up, Reno? Well, if this is that ridiculous story about being stuck in an elevator for six hours, I don't want to hear about it. Ah, but I was stuck, Reno. There was a girl in that elevator. Three eyes, maybe? Oh, now, Reno, you know what I mean. I took one look at her, and I knew this was it. For six hours, all I did was lean on that stop button and look. I found out her name was Hope, Hope Smith. That took you six hours? Well, you used to get a phone number in six seconds. Ah, but this was different. And Reno, for four days, I've been all over Manhattan trying to find her. Oh, she was an angel. Well, maybe I saw her. What color are her wings? Huh. Reno, you, you sound a little sore. Oh, Billy, what's the use of kidding? You know I've always had it bad for you. Ah, you'll forget all about me in London. Why, monocles will be dropping into your lap like butterflies. Just think of all the excitement ahead. What excitement, Billy? It'll be as dull as a London fog without you. My story is much too sad to be told But practically everything leaves me totally cold The only exception I know is the case When I'm out on a quiet spree Fighting Suddenly turn and see your fabulous. 
get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me why should it be true that I get a kick out of you? Like that perfume from Spain I'm sure that if I took even one whiff That would bore me terrifically too Yet I get a kick out of you I get a kick Every time I see you standing there before me, I get a kick, though it's clear to me you obviously don't adore. As I sing this refrain, each tender note Mr. Cole Porter wrote gives me totally nothing that's new. How can you tell a girl who's that way about you that you're in love with someone else? You can't. Yet you do the best you can, and if the gal's a pal like Reno, she understands. Just as I was about to kiss Reno goodbye, a man dressed in the clothes of a minister stepped directly in between us. <laughs> he looked and talked suspiciously like a fellow I knew named Victor Moore as he looked up timidly at Reno and me and said, uh, 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 Would you folks mind if I just stood between you for a few minutes? Say about 30. <laughs> Watch it, Billy. Hey, Reverend. I was just about to kiss Miss Sweeney goodbye. Well, go right ahead. I'm with him. But, 
Reverend, you're standing between us. Well, I don't like drafts. I'm supposed to meet a pal by the gangplank here. He's coming aboard with 50 grand. Uh, 50,000. You mean $50,000? Uh, yeah, for missionary work in Africa. <laughs> little pygmies. Say, how do you get to be a little pygmy? Well, the first thing is, don't grow. <laughs> uh, Reverend, pardon me, but your suitcase. Huh? It's open. And I may be wrong, but isn't that a machine gun nestling among your socks? Oh, 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 oh. I, I must have that catch fixed. My gang, uh, uh, my parish gave me that gun <laughs> as a going-away present for wild tigers and things. You better look for that pal of yours with the 50 grand. Yeah, I suppose so, but it was certainly nice and cozy here between you. Oh, feel free to drop in any time, Reverend. Yeah, and you do the same in my cabin. It's B1. I hope he makes a vote, because I just hate to travel alone. <laughs> All ashore that's going ashore. All ashore that's going ashore. Billy, take the next boat over. Well, we know there's, there's hope. There is? I mean, Hope Smith. Oh. And uh, then there's my job. Well, I thought you said you were fired again. Oh, I was, but E.J. said he would hire me back if I found out who controls Bailey's Incorporated. He wants to buy it for $3 million. You've got a hunt for a guy you want to pay $3 million bucks to? Why? Well, it's uh, sort of high finance. Somebody holds a stock that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls Bailey's Incorporated. I'm sorry I asked. I never got past that first holding company, and neither will you. Oh, yes, I will, Reno. Well, okay, Billy. You better kiss me goodbye. Reno. Reno, look. Going in that door. Oh, Billy, what's the matter? It was Hope, the girl in the elevator, the girl I'm looking for. Last call, all ashore, all ashore, last call. Billy, you've got to get off the boat. I can't lose her now that I've found her. Oh, Billy, you're out of your mind. You haven't got a ticket or a passport or clothes or anything, and what about your job? Oh, to heck with the job, to heck with everything. I'm sailing. Well, that won't go with your boss. Boss or no boss, when you're in love, anything goes. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. Authors do who once knew better words now only use four letter words writing prose. Anything goes. The world has gone mad today, and good's bad today, and black's white today, and day's night today, when most guys today that women prize today are just silly gigolos. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. Why anything goes. Anything goes. Why, sure. You know, Reno. Way back in the days of mom and pop. Well, I know what you're going to say. That anything went from soup to bebop. Songwriting used to be so lyrical. Now it just sounds satirical with that. Oop, bop, ba, da. Mad today, good bad 
today, black's white today, May's black today, all skies today, and the price today is a silly Romeo. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. It's plain to see that practically anything sail, and there I was en route to England, standing alone on deck at two in the morning without ticket, without passport. Over an hour before, I had sent a note to Hope asking her to meet me up on deck right away. And just as I was about to give up Hope, I heard the patter of tiny feet. Billy! Oh, Billy! I just got your note. Hope! Oh, at last I found you. Ever since that night in the elevator, I searched for you. I must have phoned over a million Smiths. I got nickel happy. But, Billy, I didn't give you my telephone number for a reason. Reason? What reason? Our souls touch between the sixth and seventh floors of the Ritz Plaza Hotel. Oh, but there are reasons, very good ones. I'm sailing with my mother and Sir Evelyn Oakley, my fiancé. You're what? We're going to be married in England, Billy. Oh, now, darling, you can stop all this nonsense about a fiancé and marriage right now. It's not nonsense. Family, business, money. You can't know how important my marrying Evelyn is. Well, you... You forgot about it one night in an elevator. And you're going to forget it again because tonight we've got a moon, a very beautiful moon. This is so silly and hopeless. Why, I don't even know the first thing about you. Oh, yes, you do. The first thing about me is that I love you. Why, you've been with me every night since the first night I saw you. All through the night, I delight. Kiss me, sweetheart. It's even better than I dreamed. But a dream is all that can ever be between us, Billy. Now I must go. With that moon shining down on us like that? Oh, hope you can't. Well, if I stop to think twice. Well, don't think twice. Think once. Then I'll stay. Oh, darling. And then once again. 
We'll be back with Anything Goes in just a moment. But first, here's a reminder. As you know, America enjoys the services of many forms of transportation and finds use for them all. But there is nothing in existence and nothing in sight that could take the place of railroads in handling transportation requirements so varied and so vast as those of America. That may be one reason why General Brehan Somerville, who during the recent war was in charge of the whole tremendous business of supplying the United States Army, called the railroads the backbone of our transportation system, and declared that, quote, they must be maintained and developed primarily against the day when we should again have to call upon them to implement the defense of these United States. End of quotation. What General Somerville said about the railroads in the emergency of war is just as true in time of peace. For America's basic transportation runs on rail. And now back to Anything Goes and Gordon McRae as Billy Crocker. All through the night, with hope by my side, I, I didn't worry at all. But in the cold gray light of dawn, I remember that I had no money, no clothes, no ticket, and no passport. I also remember the Reverend Moon. So I dashed below and burst into the Reverend's stateroom. Now, all right, now, don't shoot, don't shoot. I'll come quietly. <laughs> Why, what's the matter, Reverend? Oh, it's you. I, uh, I was expecting someone else. Well, you, you said I could use your cabin if your pal didn't show up, and, uh... Oh, I'm awfully glad to see you. He didn't show up, and I've been very, very lonesome. Well, I, I don't know how long I'll be here, Reverend. I, I haven't a ticket or anything. Oh, I can fix that up for you. Here's my pal's ticket, and here. Here's his passport. That's big of you, Reverend. Well, I am big in a small way. Uh... What's the matter? Anything wrong? the passport? Well, uh, Reverend, I, I don't mind posing as James Hill, but this picture. Oh, yeah. Well, we can give you that scar with a knife. <laughs> I can broaden out your nose if you just let me jump on it once or twice. Now, listen, if anybody's going to jump on my nose, I'll do it myself, Reverend. Well, I have a little confession to make to you. I'm, uh, I'm not a Reverend. Well, don't worry. Maybe you'll be promoted next year. Now, let's see. The uh, first thing I have to have is uh, something to wear besides this tuxedo. Now, you don't understand. This may be a shock to you, but I'm Moonface McGee. <laughs> Your face is fine with me, Reverend. Uh, where could I get a suit? Uh, just a minute. I'm a crook. I'm public enemy number 13. <laughs> of course, it's just a temporary writing. That Washington crowd has got it in for me. I should at least be number nine. Uh, or, uh, well, ten or eleven, maybe. <laughs> Reverend, please, I've, I've, I've got a lot on my mind. Are you listening to me? I'll blow your head off. Huh? What? Hey, Reverend, don't point that machine gun I at me. I guess you'll believe I'm Moonface McGee now. This is my old friend, Putt-Putt-Putt. Well, Putt-Putt-Putt it down. <laughs> You're my pal. I, I wouldn't give you away, Reverend. Oh, just call me Doc. Okay, Doc. Now, don't be afraid. I got put, put, put right here in my hand. <laughs> come, come, come in. Say, what's going... Wow! 
Lay that machine gun down, Reverend. Reno. You might as well know. I'm Moonface McGee. I'm a very dangerous man. All right, so you're dangerous. What gives, Billy? Well, number one, I've got to get some clothes so I can get up on deck and see Hope. Oh, that's easy. Swap yourself a sailor suit. There's a dozen of them hanging out in the poop deck. At least I think I mean poop deck. <laughs> Say, I think I could use you in, in my line of business. You always come through, Reno. Let's see, Billy. I'd say you take about a size 40. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Oh, Doc, you're a saint. Now, don't say that to Public Enemy 13. <laughs> it's subversive. Billy, what goes with hope? Oh, it's not so good, Reno. She's going to England to marry one Sir Evelyn Oakley. Oh, that must be Mr. Allteeth and No Chin I just met up on deck. Would it help any if I sort of got next to him, Bill? Oh, would it help? Oh, what a pal you are. Gee, I, I don't know how to tell you, Reno. Well, don't try it, Billy. Let me. Add words poetic, you're so pathetic that you always have found it best. Instead of getting them off your chest, you let them rest unexpressed. I hate parading my serenading, as I'll probably miss a bar. But if this ditty is not so pretty, at least let me tell you how great You're the top, you're the Coliseum, you're the top, you're the Louvre Museum, you're a melody from a symphony by Strauss, you're an Ascot bonnet, a Shakespeare sonnet, you're Blanding's house, oh you're the Nile, you're the Tower of Pisa, you're the smile of the Mona Lisa. I'm a worthless check, a total wreck, a flop. But if, baby, I'm the bottom, you're the top. You're the top. You're expensive candy. You're the top. You're Napoleon brandy. You're the purple light of a summer night in Spain. You're the National Gallery. You're Crosby, Salary, you're cellophane. You're sublime, you're a turkey dinner, you're the time of the derby winner. I'm a toy balloon that has faded soon to pop, but if baby on the bottom, you're the top. You're the top, you're a Waldorf salad, you're the top, you're a Merlin salad. I'm just in the way, as the friends would say, to drop. So oh, I still, oh, I still feel I'm the bottom, you're the top. While Reno and I were busy patting each other on the back, Reverend Moon had raided the clothesline and came back carrying a sailor suit over his arm. Billy, the only one I could get my hands on was size 48. But maybe it'll give you a sort of a full draped effect. Moon's face, I could kiss you. Oh, right here in front of Miss Sweeney. Oh, Billy, you're going to look cute in a sailor suit. Try it on. Oh, I don't care how I look, just so I can talk to Hope. 
What's happening? Uh, I've been afraid of this. We may have to shoot our way out of here. I've got put, put, put already. Doc, put down that gun. All right, hands up, Snake Eyes. We've got you covered. Hello, Captain. Oh, Reverend, good work. I see you got hold of his machine gun and got him covered. Captain, what's going on here? That man you thought was a friend, Miss Sweeney, is none other than public enemy number one. <laughs> but this is ridiculous. Aren't you traveling on a passport made out to one James Hill? Yes. Well, I just received a radiogram from Washington informing me that James Hill is just an alias for Snake Eyes Johnson. <laughs> All right, men, take him to the brig. Now, just a minute, Captain. Yes, Reverend? There's good in every man, even Snake Eyes Johnson. What would putting him in the brig do but keep him from seeing hope? I mean, having hope. I mean, uh... Keep working, Doc. I'm with you. Moonface, I love you. It'll be a sacrifice, Captain, but for the rest of the trip, I'd like you to hand over Snake Eyes to me. And maybe by the time we get to London... He'll be the kind of a man I am. Well, hallelujah! Well, this would be highly irregular. I feel like a better man already, Captain. Well, there you are. There's good in everybody, just like there's sin in everybody. Are you without sin, Captain? Well, <clears throat> now that you mention it... We've all got sin, but we can cast it out. I'm going to search your hearts, folks. You tell them, Reno. Do you hear that playing? Yes, I hear that playing. Do you know who's playing? No, who is that playing? Why, it's Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Will you be ready to go when I blow my horn? Blow, Gabriel, blow. Go on and blow, Gabriel, blow. I've been a sinner, I've been a scamp, but now I'm willing to trim my lamp. Blow, Gabriel, blow. I was low, Gabriel, low. That's mighty low, Gabriel, low. But now since I've seen the light, I'm good by day and I'm good by night. So blow, Gabriel, blow. Once I was headed below. Once she was headed below. But when I got to Satan's door, I heard you blowing on your horn once more. So I said, Satan, farewell. And now I'm all ready to fly. He has to fly higher and higher and higher. Because I've gone through the brimstone and I've been through the fire. And I've purged my soul and my heart too. So climb up the mountains, I'll bet start to blow, Gabriel. And start to blow. Go on and blow, Gabriel. Go on and blow, Gabriel. of expensive dinners. Stand up on your lazy feet and sing. Come on and blow, Gabriel, blow. Go on and blow, Gabriel, blow. I've been a sinner, I've been a scamp, but now I'm willing to trim my lamp. So blow, Gabriel, blow. I've gone 
down through the brimstone and I've been through the fire and I've purged my soul and my heart too so climb up the mountain top and start to I was sure that everybody would give me the cold shoulder when they thought I was Snake Eyes Johnson and Public Enemy Number One. Instead, the girls flocked around me up on deck like bees around honey. Mrs. Johnson, may I have your autograph? Mrs. Johnson, you kiss me, please, honey. Get your place in line. There's no waving over here in line. Tell us about your early life, Mr. Johnson. I was just beginning to enjoy myself and getting all set to tell him I was born with a silver gat in my mouth when I looked up and there, standing before me, was my sweetheart, Hope and her charming fiancé, Sir Evelyn Oakley. I say, Hope, what is going on? Nothing of importance, Evelyn. Let's get out of here. Hope. Clamor, Billy. No, wait a minute, Hope. I'm not public enemy number one, two, three, or four. I'm just Billy Crocker, out of a job, out of money, out of everything, but nothing matters so long as I get the girl I love. Oh, but that's impossible, Billy. Man, throw this imposter in the brig. Wait a minute. Just a minute. Yes, Reverend. If you want a real public enemy, Captain, I can help you out. You? Oh, yes. I'm not a Reverend at all. I'm Moonface McGee. Uh, and uh, who is that? You haven't heard of Moonface McGee? <laughs> Why, I'm public enemy number 13. I'd be much higher if it weren't for that crowd in Washington. So if any of you girls would like to kiss me or cut off a button or two for a souvenir, well, here I am. Don't be bashful, anybody. Men, throw both these bums in the brig. Don't worry, Hope, darling. I'm not going to give up yet. I'll find some way to get out, and what's more, I'll, I'll find some way to stop your marriage to Sir Evelyn, too. Oh, too late for that old thing. Our train leaves 20 minutes after we dock. Your train? That's right, darling. But it isn't right, darling. It isn't right at all, because you'll get no kick in a train planning to marry some Tom, Dick, or Harry and carry the torch in your life Because I get a As General Somerville said in the speech I quoted to you a few minutes ago, our railroads must be maintained and developed as an essential element of our national defense. And these same railroads are the main arteries of American commerce. 
Since the recent war, they have carried more passenger travel. They have moved more tons of freight, more miles. They have gotten more service out of each freight car than ever before in time of peace. In doing so, they have set new all-time records in the amount of transportation service turned out by the average freight train, all as part of America's unprecedented go-ahead drive toward maximum production and better living. As their part of this drive, the railroads are spending a billion dollars a year on new cars and engines, new tracks and signals, new plant and equipment of every sort to provide better and better service for you. In getting these new things, railroads have met the same sort of shortages and difficulties which have kept you from getting all the new things you would like to have. But the new passenger cars which were ordered during and just after the war are coming into service. More and more each day, we are seeing luxurious new coaches and sleeping cars, new dining and lounge cars, new streamlined trains on the rails. And the all-important freight car fleet is growing. Since the war, nearly 200,000 new freight cars have been put in service, but still more are needed, and the railroads are making every effort to get them. They have ordered another 100,000 new cars, enough to keep all the car builders busy for a year to come. So right now, with the year's peak movement of freight with us, the railroads are not only working to meet today's needs, but are planning and preparing to meet any greater emergency which might be ahead. We'll return to Anything Goes in just a moment after a brief pause for station identification. And here again is Gordon McRae in the character of Billy Crocker. Four days, Moon and I sat on the brig together. I knew we must be in England, but nobody came to tell us. And Moon spent most of his time trying to peek out the tiny porthole. Suddenly, his voice held a small ray of hope. Yep, yep, we're in England, all right. Somebody lifted the frog, and I can see a teeny-weensy piece of the dock. Well, you better make it a good look. That's about all we'll ever get to see of England on this trip. Uh, Billy, cheer up. Maybe we're looking on the dark side too much. Oh, Doc, the only thing that can help me is seeing Hope. The note she sent me is breaking my heart. Now, Billy, don't read that note again. You know, I cry easy. And I've got to read it. Listen. Darling Billy, I, I understand everything, but nothing can be done. <laughs> oh, Billy, please. I love you, but I'm marrying Sir Evelyn. Forget about me, but always love me. <laughs> I told you not to read that again. <laughs> I gotta get out of here, Doc. Somehow, some way, I've got to get to Hope. What's that? Uh, you're right this way, Miss Sweeney. Well, thank you, guard. Hello, boys. Here's the first cake I ever baked to cheer you up on your way back to New York. What do we want a cake for at a time like this? Yeah, what for? Uh, what flavor is it? Well, it's, um... It's pistachio. Ah, that's one flavor I can't stand. Well, it's not exactly pistachio. It's more, um, caramel meringue orange. Take the cake. It looks terrible. What's that big lump in the center? <laughs> Take the cake. We don't want that mouth-eating piece of pastry. Nah. Take the cake. 
Uh, your, your time is up, Miss Sweeney, and I guess you ain't sorry, huh? Oh, they're just a little stir-crazy, that's all. Maybe it'll help if I sing them an old song. We don't want to hear any old songs. Well, you're going to hear this one. It goes, take the cake, there's a file right in it. Take the cake, you'll be out in a minute. Oh, you're quite a dame and you'll win your fame on earth as a gorgeous spy in the FBI. Eleven words. All the time Moon and I were trying to file our way out of the brig, I was picturing Hope and that buck-toothed fiancé of hers, Sir Evelyn, smug and serene in his feudal English castle, getting ready for their marriage ceremony. Oh, dear, dear. Well, Hope, old gal, now you've seen Oakley Manor, and in an hour you'll be the mistress of it. I know, Evelyn. Frankly, I couldn't be unhappier. Neither could I. Uh, oh, you see, old dear, I met a gal on board ship named Reno. We spent a good deal of time in the lifeboat together. Well, that's all right, Evelyn. You see, there was a boy on board ship, too. His name was Billy. Oh, oh fortunate we all didn't head for the same lifeboat. What? <laughs> well, yes, I guess... Oh! Uh, what's the matter? Oh, that... that, that... At the what? French door. Yeah. Oh, it's just me. Come on, kids. It's all right. Oh, Billy. Hope, darling. And Reno. Oh. Evie, I've missed you and all those lovely teeth. Oh. <laughs> Isn't there anybody for me? I've got news for you, Evie. You're not marrying Hope. Oh, fine with me, old boy. <laughs> Impossible, I'm afraid. My pater and Hopi's mate are working on the deal right now. Deal? What kind of deal? Well, you see, my pater controls Grayson's Limited. And when I marry Hope, he also gets control of Bailey's Incorporated. Bailey's Incorporated? Hope, what have you got to do with Bailey's? Well, my father left me stock that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls the holding company, that controls Bailey's. You? Hope, Hope, darling, you're the one I've been looking for. Billy, I know you love me, but Evelyn's father's paying $50,000 for that stock. $50,000. Look, do you know what I've got right here in my pocket? Right here I have a contract from Kitney, 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 and I hope someday Crocker offering $3 million for that stock. Oh, I say, isn't this jolly? Now you don't have to marry me, Hope. Oh, Reno. Is there something bothering you, Evie? Oh, dear, dear. Uh, would you consider becoming Lady Oakley? Would I? Uh, I'm just sorry my old man isn't here. He said I'd never be a lady, but I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we might spend the honeymoon in the lifeboat. What? <laughs> uh, this is all peachy, but I'm wondering if I could use the same hideout you're going to, Billy. I get awfully lonesome. Hideout? Well, you're in England without a passport, and by now I'm probably way up on the list of public enemies. <laughs> I've been working awful hard. Well, I don't understand it. I cabled the State Department about you both this morning, <laughs> but I haven't got an answer. Oh, dear. Possibly that's what this wireless for you is, Hope. I uh, thought it might be congratulatory, and I didn't want to depress you. Here, I'll read it, Evelyn. Oh. Yep, here it is. Temporary passport granted William Crocker. Anything about me, Billy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's something about you, too, Doc. Pretty bad, huh? 
Well, go ahead and read it to me. It says, Moonface McGee, off public enemy lists entirely. Not wanted anywhere, absolutely harmless. <laughs> Let me say that. I just don't understand this administration. <laughs> well, don't worry, Doc. Hope and I want you to be best man at our wedding. Oh, oh might as well make it a double wedding. What? <laughs> well, fine. I'll bring put, 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 and make it a double barrel machine gun wedding. Oh, Hope, darling, we're going to be so happy. And then once again will I know I was wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gordon McRae giving a special vote of thanks to our two guest stars this evening, Miss Margaret Whiting and Mr. Victor Moore, and to the other members of tonight's cast for their fine performances in our production of Anything Goes, which was adapted for radio by Don Etlinger. Next week, our star-studded show train will arrive in the same tracks at the same time. On board will be the Metropolitan Opera star, Miss Reza Stevens, Mr. Fortunio Bonanova, and we have also invited Mr. Adolf Manjou to join me in bringing you the famous Jerome Kern operetta, The Cat and the Fiddle, with our chorus under the direction of Norman Luboff and the music arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, so until next week, goodbye. Remember, during the coming week, as always, the American railroads will provide for you the dependable, low-cost transportation which is so essential to the American way of living. Inexplicably, for this broadcast, Victor Moore's character's name was changed to Moonface McGee from his original Moonface Martin. Whether Martin or McGee, it's always fun to hear Victor Moore's absolutely unique way with a line. Not heard in tonight's program was actor William Gaxton, who created the role of Billy Crocker on stage, opposite Ethel Merman and Victor Moore. Like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby later, William Gaxton and Victor Moore had become an unofficial team, appearing together in Broadway's Of the I Sing, Let Him Eat Cake, Leave It to Me, Louisiana Purchase, Leave Him Laughing, Hollywood Pinafore, and Nellie Bly. The Railroad Hour began on ABC October 4, 1948, as a 45-minute program advertised as the world's greatest musical comedies.
It was reduced to 30 minutes on April 25, 1949, continuing until September 26 of that year. It then moved to NBC for a run from 1949 until 1954. On both networks, it aired Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber. 